The Press Box is here to catch you up on the latest media stories. Hosted by Brian Curtis and David Shoemaker, these guys have the insight on the biggest stories you care about. Check out The Press Box on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA, I make calls, I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it, you can work out in it, you can go outside, you can go shopping down in your local wherever, and you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast. I'm Mesa Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hearn. Ryan, how are you doing? doing? You're, <laughs> I'm all right. How are you, Mesa Kwonga? <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. I am very well, thanks. Uh, an eventful weekend. Yeah, an eventful weekend. All sorts going on. Oh um, God, yeah. Are you okay? Uh, no, no, all good. Uh, there was, yes, there was a, I went to an anti-far-right rally at the German parliament only. I got there quite early. So the vibe was so interesting because they were turning up like we were just going like a nice day out. Yeah, it was like, it's weird, huh? It was like going to a pop concert. They were just turning up and they were like, so there was an eight-year-old kid with his family and they were like some elderly lot, grandparents and everyone in between, a bunch of like, you know, city workers. And it was just the real community vibe, only they were all carrying. Quite like, horrible insignia. They were coming symbols that even by the standards of that community are particularly racist. Yikes. Um, but th- that, was the, that was the bad news. The good news is that- I was going to um, say, can you, uh, can you do me a favor? <laughs> can you just- can you just keep politics out of this podcast? Please? Keep politics. <laughs> two hundred eighty-two episodes, and I'm not really comfortable with you talking about politics on the show. So can you- <laughs> keep it out. Keep it out of the timeline. Not even, uh, the funny thing is, not even politics. <laughs> That's not even politics to me. That's not. You know, it's, yeah, it's just not politics. It's, it's not, not politics. It's not. I wonder how many people just switched off, and I'm going to leave that bit in. Leave it in. Leave it in. Leave it in. Um, but yeah, just to say that the day ended very well. Uh, my wonderful uh, local team, the Unicorns, SFC, Inter had a great 4-1 win. I think they're almost top of the league now. Listen, we need to, we're going to start getting accused of Inter, uh, SFC into bias here with the amount of times they've, they've had shout outs at the top of the show. This is a belief. This is ridiculous. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We'll oh. make a habit of it. But yeah, so I had a lovely weekend. How was yours? It was fine. Thanks. Yeah. I learned a big lesson this weekend. All right. So I set my alarm for... 6.50 on Sunday morning. What? Okay. I was like, it's this the Japanese Grand Prix. And oh, of course. It's the return to Suzuka and it's a big deal and it looks all set up and Max Verstappen could win the title. So I set my alarm for 10 to 7. Raining in Suzuka. They do one lap, the safety car comes out, they red flag the race for two hours and they don't start until... And I was oh, like, no. I could have literally stayed in bed until about 9.30 <laughs> and watched all that I needed to watch really about this race. Oh no. The classic meeting that should have been an email. Unbelievable. It was. Oh, it's awful. It really was. Oh my goodness. So obviously, if you like F1, you can check the Ringer F1 show. Kevin Clark, every week, with a he's, he's lovely so array of guests. Even some, sometimes, he even asked me on. Go and check that out. Sometimes maybe good, sometimes maybe Ryan. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm very much the Nicholas Latifi of that, of that panel of guests. Put it that way. But, well, you, just, you, never, you never push it. F1 people will love that joke. And <laughs> the fact that you didn't laugh. Well, I'm not an F1 man. Well, so is he? Is he someone that does, never pushes it too hard? No, he's always crashing and he's lost his seat for next season. <laughs> oh, oh no, right. Anyway, this is, uh, we, we said we'd be quick today. It's a football podcast. Yeah. 
keep politics and F1 out of football. You will. You fucking woke lefty. <laughs> we hope everyone's staying safe, staying well wherever you are in the world. There's some grim stuff going on and we hope everyone is all right. A lot of people I know have started getting COVID again. Yeah, even in football, so there's a lot of COVID can everyone about. just yeah, yeah. stay safe, please? Remember to wash those hands. Mm. And uh, I know some of you had three or four jabs now, and you're out there licking doorknobs. But can you just please yeah. be mindful still? Yeah. Anyway, um, we've definitely lost some listeners this show. Yeah, yeah. Well, oh well, it wasn't to be. Although it's it's an actorban of a podcast. There you go. Uh, that was a little reference to something that happened in the Gladbach Köln game this weekend on German commentary which spicy, was spicy spicy indeed yeah today we're going to do a little bit of a quick wrap up in the Premier League and then talk about Arsenal Liverpool we were going to start with Dortmund Bayern but we mm. thought we started with Dortmund on Thursday uh, just to let you know we'll also talk about Milan Juve a little bit later yes. we'll wrap up yes. some results alright so let's begin after this let's do it This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it you can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. All right, before we get into Premier League, Yep. Let's shout out England, USA. Yes. What an amazing occasion at Wembley. What was it, 77,000 at Wembley, I think, in the end? Unreal. Great game of football. Lauren Hemp opened the scoring. Sophia Smith equalising for for the USA. And then Georgia Stanway from the penalty spot. All, all goals in the half Bayern. time. Oh, she is yeah, already yeah. starting at Bayern. But just an amazing experience. A great occasion. Great football match. Uh, a good test I- for both sides ahead of next year's World Cup. And Leah Williamson called the score as well. She Pre-match did. prediction. She did. <laughs> This is such an important result for England as well. It feels it is like an important result, yeah. Every now and again, you get friendly at a time of the season where it matters for both both teams. It's like a temperature check. You know how the, the tournoi in 1997 before the World Cup in 1998 mm. in the men's in the men's game, and almost I'm like sometimes I'm like, should you be playing? Sometimes when I see these friendlies, I'm like, should two teams which are going at each other this much? have friendly. It's like, do you really want to show that much of yourself to the other team? Does that make sense? Like, I think it's important I this, actually though. Yeah, I, I do think, and I do think it's important. Don't get me wrong. I do think it's important. But I'm almost like, this is quite a risk and quite a confident risk. If that makes sense. Mm. It's a sign of confidence to play the US in a game like this and to come off the back of the Euros as well. You're almost like, well, if someone says, oh, England, they're currently the best team in the world. Well, there's a strong argument. There's a strong argument they are. I'm not saying they are. I'm saying there's a strong argument they are. And that is a pretty incredible turnaround from, let's say, not not turnaround, it's a progression. It's not a huge leap, but it's from two years ago to now, you're like, wow, this is a really exciting progress. Yeah, um, I agree. And it meant a huge amount. And just nice to see Stanway, obviously biased because we live in Germany. It's great to see her here and thriving. And it's great, like I said, I've said this a thousand times, but the stanway McGool midfield partnership oh. is just, I'm so happy about that for a thousand reasons. The busiest midfield in Europe. 
<laughs> All right, let's let's go into the Premier League and let's do some quick run through of some stuff before we touch on the big game, which was Arsenal Liverpool. I thought maybe we could use this to shout out some teams that we haven't really had a chance, much of a chance to talk about too much recently. Yeah, yeah. First of all, is Newcastle. Yep. Some great stuff from the weekend, some not so great stuff. But let's start with the great stuff because they beat Brentford 5-1 on the weekend. Mm. They beat Fulham 4-1 away last weekend. Those two wins are really impressive. They've been playing some really good football. Miguel Almiron has kind of come alive. He's levitated. Right, you might talk about him on Wrighty's House, so we'll, we'll swerve a lot of that. But I just wanted to give a shout out to Newcastle because they are playing some really good stuff. They're, not, they're sixth in the table now, just a point behind Manchester United. Um, they, and they've only lost one game this season. And that signing of Bruno Guimaraes. Oh my God. You know when you it's see so certain good. footballers, you know there's always a, a moment when a club gets taken over mm. and they make one signing that you're like, whoa. Yeah. Like the Yaya, this is like the Yaya Toure signing, if that makes sense, in terms of the anchor of a team and someone who... You know, Yaya Toure was there to kind of build a legacy at City and really did. Mm. And I feel that Bruno Guimaraes could be the same. He was an elite player and seems to just love the responsibility and the goal scoring. Yeah. You know, this is, you know. Goal scoring from midfield, man. It's just like, it is such an invaluable asset to have. Absolutely. Yeah. They haven't added that many new pieces, Newcastle. For them to be performing at this level. Quite quiet. They they? are performing far better. If you look at actual, who they brought in compared to how they're performing. Mm. They have been spectacular, I think. They, 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 have, they have not added that many new players for the level of performance they've brought. That has been extremely impressive, even I would say exceptionally impressive. So the thing that I wanted to mention in terms of when takeovers happen and they bring in a manager, there's always an assumption that the manager they get in soon after the takeover is almost a kind of launch pad for the next one. And it's just assumed that at some point they'll bring in an Ancelotti or someone of that nature, someone of that calibre or what well, no, stature. I think that assumption is unfair. The quality of the job he's doing, the connection he has already, it seems, with the fan base and the players is so strong that he's almost becoming to them what Potter was to Brighton and maybe more. And I think the assumption that Eddie Howe will get bounced out for someone higher profile, I think is an unfair one. He's their guy though. He got, uh, yeah, but here's the, other, here's, got here's the, out for Eddie Howe. And now, and now here's the flip side of that. Here's the sort of slightly more sinister side of that. It's because also Eddie Howe has proven himself politically extremely adept at defending the ownership. Extremely adept. Uh, I think we said this last season is that the, the job that he was doing on the turnaround was getting a little bit underappreciated because they had put all of that money in in January. Mm. And I think this season, you've seen it, like it takes a, it takes a skill to coach players of that quality. And it yes, takes yes. skill to manage through a transition. I think what Howe's done really well from a footballing sense is that he's managed that transition very, very calmly so that if you think about it football-wise on the pitch, Newcastle has been extremely drama-free. And in yes. a takeover like this, everyone was waiting for it to be really, really dramatic. With takeovers like this, people move into extremes. A lot of people who are fans of the club, I think we talked about this when they got taken over. Mm. We were saying that we, the thing that we felt really is that this kind of thing shouldn't happen anywhere in the Premier League. It shouldn't have happened for years, but the, the horse is, is so far gone now that we forgot we had a horse. Mm. In that analogy, it is literally like you and me being like, hang on a minute, didn't we used to have a horse? In the- yes. <laughs> did I imagine it or did we have a horse? I, 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 that is how far things have gone. What would be amazing as a neutral Mm. who has always kind of rooted for Newcastle to do well. Mm. It would be really, really amazing if banners like the one that was unveiled on Saturday, it would be amazing if they didn't happen. All praise due to what Newcastle in the field. Wonderful performance. Great win over Brentford. Great coaching. Really happy on a human level to see fans enjoying themselves after 13 miserable years. Horrible. Don't get me wrong. I'm saying that too. From their perspective, the Mm. owner's perspective, that's what made Newcastle the perfect place to go for. Yes, I think that's right. But yeah, football-wise, yes, they're looking really good. Yeah, Just one quick thing in this game, though, as well. I just, we'll, we'll probably talk about it a little bit in more depth later with some of the decisions, but this penalty decision on Dan Byrne was so harsh. And I really hate this law, mm. or this uh, uh, interpretation of the law, because it proved a lot of problems, especially in the Arsenal-Liverpool game, which we'll talk about. But um, for Newcastle, their next game is away at Old Trafford next weekend Brentford meanwhile I'm a bit worried about Brentford that win against Leeds is the only win they've had in the league since they beat Manchester United um, 
And I'm wonder, I'm hoping this is another one of Brentford's little weird wobbles before they pick up again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I just hope they steady the ship. All right, some props elsewhere. Quick shout for Chelsea. 3-0 over Wolves. Three lovely, yeah. lovely goals. Christian Pulisic's first goal of the season. It's going to be really interesting to see if he gets more minutes ahead of the World Cup because he needs them and the USA needs so. him. Bournemouth, dude, Bournemouth. This is another team we need to shout out because Bournemouth are eighth. Really impressive. Just crept up on that rail there, the outside rail. Um, they are unbeaten since the defeat to Liverpool. The defeat, and not just any normal defeat. The 9-0, yeah. yeah. So yeah, since Gary O'Neill came in, still yeah. unbeaten. In Incredible resilience. They're doing unbelievable. And Love to see that. Maybe Leicester's resurgence was a bit short-lived. Um, but yeah, massive props to Bournemouth. Manchester City beat Southampton 4-0. This is one of those results that just tends to happen to Southampton. <laughs> yeah. And also as well, with City in this kind of form, there's, there's no mm. disgrace in a 4-0 defeat. Another goal for Haaland. This is 20th yeah. for Manchester City already. Been there like two months. Yeah. Unbelievable. Palace beating Leeds 2-1. Good result for Palace. And yeah, really just, good. I'm a bit worried about Jesse Marsh because every time I see him interviewed, he tends to be very, very, like, very pissed off a lot. <laughs> pissed off a lot I mean, of the time, has, Jesse Marsh. He doesn't have much margin for error. That's the thing. No. It's the knowledge of that, isn't it? Yeah. No, he doesn't. Some wild goals in the West Ham game. Skamaka literally couldn't believe that he'd got given a goal. You think that was, you think that's what it was? His, yeah. His goal, when he scored that goal, when he, he floated knew, he it knew over. He'd hand, he knew he'd handballed it. Oh, okay. I thought he was doing like some kind of like Stonewall celebration or something. No, no, no. So basically, the ball bounced flicked off Popped his hand up. yeah and and then he lifted it over and that's what he was looking around being like because you could see him almost saying yeah it's i was wondering why he was so handball. still yeah yeah yeah. and then he couldn't yeah. believe that they gave it same thing happened for michael antonio and also i think the west ham penalty was a bit soft as well the michael antonio one was weird because they'd got this thing same with the rashford one um mm. well no it wasn't the same with the rashford one actually it was the other way around but about these like second phases of play yeah. And it's so weird how this law it, it is written. It's just like, if the player who scores the goal handballs it in the build-up to the goal, right. surely it should just be handball, right? Yeah, that's what I would think. Yeah. Like, if they've handballed it and then played, and then three and a half minutes later, after 37 passes, they've then scored a goal. Maybe not. If you don't pick it up, if you, don't pick, if you pick it up immediately before, yeah. But if, you, if it's like, yeah, back, like two minutes back in the move, I don't see the point. Mm. I can understand why Marco Silva was a little bit annoyed about this. Yeah. That's fair. But that's a good result for West Ham. Uh, Spurs beating Brighton 1-0. Spurs were... Efficient, effective. Mm, yeah. I think the result flattered them a little bit, to be honest. You said this before, though, haven't you? Like, the, I think, the yeah, performances... It's pretty, I think it's, yeah, the output's not matching it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You said this. But Brighton were good again, I thought. Yeah, yeah. Good under, early signs under Zerbi are looking, are looking good, man. And I think... What's going to be really good for Brighton, I think, is the World Cup, actually. Because if they have a load of time on the training ground with Deserby, they're going to come back, I think, a different side in the second part of the season. But a little concern, Harry Kane went off injured. And he came out saying he's feeling good. That's a relief. That's a relief. Hopefully he's all fine. Um, just quickly on the... We're just literally seeing this now as we're doing the, the pod um, on Brighton. Enoch Wepu has been forced to retire after being diagnosed with a hereditary heart condition. Oh, awful. Apparently he'd been feeling unwell when he was going to join up with Zambia for the international break. That's Had a load awful. of cardiac tests after coming back. And he's got, it turns out he's got like a hereditary condition which manifests later in life. This is from a piece by um, Amatai Winehouse for The Athletic. Uh, Bright released a statement saying, the condition which can worsen over time would put Enoch at an extremely high risk of suffering a potentially fatal cardiac event if he was to continue playing competitive football. Uh, Chairman Tony Bloom said, we are all absolutely devastated. He and his family have had a traumatic few weeks. As a club, we will give him all the love, help and support we possibly can to make a full recovery. And then as he decides on the next steps of his life. Such that a shame, man. Devastating. Such a shame. We just wish him all the best and hopefully he... Devastating. It sounds like Brighton are really going to be there, which is... I mean, if you can think about a club who would just help a player through that, you'd be yeah, if there was hard any club, to find yeah. many yeah, better yeah. at Brighton. But yeah, just wish him all the best and... All the that same. Is, yeah. Oh, that's all. You know, that's so awful and so painful. The way he was building his career so patiently and it just moved through the gears so well. Oh, that's yeah. awful. What a shame. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk about Manchester United quick before we move on to Arsenal, Liverpool? Very briefly. Um, so they beat Everton 2-1 away. 
uh, Iwobi Magnificent. <laughs> the mischievous part of me was like, oh, Iwobi to Napoli would work so well. No. <laughs> no, I'm being silly. Iwobi's been superb. And the moment he picked the ball up, I knew he was going to score. Uh, given away by Casemiro, actually. Casemiro starting alongside Ericsson. He had a, a chaotic game. Not the only player to have a chaotic game this weekend, but his was particularly so. Um, some really bad ball concessions, some really good work high up the pitch and put in Ronaldo for what turned out to be the winner, Cristiano Ronaldo. And that is Ronaldo's 700th goal in club competitions for all clubs. Wow. Uh, so you're not including country. Um, so yeah, a, a good win for United, real resilience there. And it, again, there, are, there, was, there was a great comment by a couple of people on Twitter. I think someone commented about how the sign of Casemiro would not solve Ten Hag's possession issues with United. And this is again the challenge that they bought a defence midfielder who doesn't keep the ball as well as the truly elite defence midfielders. Well, he is truly elite, but you know, in terms of the ones that retain possession. Um, so yeah, United looking quite makeshift, but still with a very good victory. Against an improving Everton side, and Frank Lampard deserves a measure of credit for that too, yeah. because considering where they were at certain points last year and even at the start of this year, the noises coming out of the Everton camp weren't the most positive. But, you know, he's doing things there that seem to be working. So, you know, congratulations to him and I hope that continues. All right. So Arsenal three, Liverpool two. Arsenal taking the lead in the first minute, thanks to Gabriel Martinelli. Uh, Darwin Nunez equalising for Liverpool just after half an hour. Bakayo Saka scored just before half-time. Roberto Firmino equalising for Liverpool about eight minutes into the second half. And then, in about 25 minutes to go, Bakayo Saka scored his second from the penalty spot to give Arsenal a win in a game that... In fact, you know what? I'm going to throw it out to you first, Bruce. I'm going to say, as the neutral, aka someone who should historically hate both sides, <laughs> um, what did you, oh, think, of, what you think about the game? I thought it was... This is the victory. You know when Arsenal, they lost 2-1 to um, City Emirates, but had that brilliant first half? This was them completing the job. This was the win where I feel like Arsenal can tell everyone they're legit now. They, they, they had that before. I think you could say with the, the derby, yes, they get over Spurs. But this, even though Liverpool are in transition, in terms of what this means, because this is the kind of game, because a derby, ultimately, we saw from the Rhine derby in... Um, in Germany this weekend, derbies changed the destination of a, of a season in terms of you can go into a derby playing really well, but the derby is its own animal and you can win or lose that regardless of how you've been playing elsewhere. This game specifically was so important for Arsenal because it's the type of game that they draw or lose in previous seasons. Mm. And they had to go through a couple of different phases. They had the early dominance, 1-0. Yeah. The attacking play was superb. Even though Liverpool had some good possession in the first half, it felt like Arsenal were dangerous whenever they wanted to be dangerous. It's interesting, yeah. Then they had Liverpool come back into it. Not once, but twice. Twice. And they found an extra goal. Twice. So for me, this, this, this um, victory for Arsenal is the most impressive in its own way I've seen them have so far because it's the one that people weren't expecting to get. Even I wasn't. And that's not to knock them. It's more that like, this took them into, th into I think, uh, uncharted territory in recent years. So yeah, huge, huge win for them. I think that's a really good point because Klopp said something really interesting about this game afterwards where he said, we lost 3-2 at Arsenal. Mm. But he basically said, that is not the worst result in the world over years. Right. Arsenal fans will obviously be over the moon because it was a really, really big week for them. They made a load of changes midweek in, in the Europa League game, came through that relatively comfortably. They obviously won the derby, but I think the derby is the derby. They won the, they won the game the same scoreline last season and mm. look what happened later on in the season. The good thing right. for them about this year is that the, the, the derby against Spurs at Spurs is really, really soon into the new year. It's not at the mm. end of the season, which is right. key, actually. It's wonderful. Get that drama out of the yeah, way. Get it out of the way and, and give yourself a, a longer run in. That's great. I, yeah, I agree. I think winning the derby, having the kind of relatively stress-free, it was the first European game at home as well for a couple of years in midweek and then beating Liverpool in the way that they did. I think for Arsenal fans, there's a lot that you can take out of this positives. I think for Liverpool Huge, fans... brutal run of games. Yeah, yeah. For Liverpool fans, actually, I saw a lot here that if I was a Liverpool fan, put it, put it this way, if it was the other way around and this had happened at Anfield and exactly the same circumstances that had, had happened but flipped, if Arsenal had lost Ben White in, in half time, and... Gabriel Martinelli had to come off from injury mm. in the first half and 
everything played out the same it, it did, but on the other on the other way around, I'd be disappointed for sure. But I'd be like, that's actually a performance that I can really get behind because Arsenal started super quick, scored that early goal. Liverpool have this thing of conceding first, and everyone's talking about it. I know, but it's a thing. It is a thing for sure, and they need to really fix that. That early stage of the first half, Liverpool just didn't really play football, and then as soon as they did, they were so much better. Mm. They were so much better from about twenty minutes in to yeah. half time. Liverpool were they were really in control actually. Some of their combination play, the way was that they unreal. were passing the ball around, yeah. the way that they escaped the Arsenal press quite a lot was really impressive. Spectacular, yeah. Not a lot of teams have done that to Arsenal this season. Not a lot of teams have been able to do that, but also. I think that this isn't an Arsenal side that Liverpool have faced over the last few years and the same for Liverpool but in a, in a slightly negative sense. Liverpool are in transition, Arsenal are on the way up and they've kind of met at a slightly different point which I think yeah. that they are a little bit more balanced than they have been over the last few years. I think if the penalty shout goes for Liverpool, who knows what you're looking at for the rest of that first half. I don't think, I don't think the penalty shout cost Liverpool the game, put it that way. There were so many other moments in that game and there was a long way to play Right, the game would have maybe played out different, but I don't think Liverpool lost the game purely on that Gabriel penalty. No, shot. I think they were extremely unfortunate not to get it. I would say. I agree. I thought it was a penalty. I thought, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I kind of want to explain why I think it was. Well, sorry, no, I've been going on for a little bit, but go for, go I for, actually don't think these should be penalties. Okay, but I think this was a penalty under the current guidelines. Under the current, yes. Do you know what yes, I mean? Does yes, that make sense? Yes. Like, for example, I don't think the Dan Byrne one should be a penalty. I think this unnatural position stuff. It's a bit of a red herring for, for, mm. for analysis. When you freeze frame a footballer in motion, nothing is going to look like a natural hand position. How do, you, how do you actually justify? I know we're talking about hand positions already and I can feel myself going, but when you're jumping for a ball on a corner, your arms mm. go up. And when you're on the way down, your arms are not in the same position as they would be as if you were lent against a, uh, you know, a lamppost at a bus stop. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And that proximity issue is why it didn't get given. And I actually, it's, it's weird. It's kind of like, I agree with why they didn't give it, but under the current guidelines, I think they should have given it. I agree. I agree. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, completely. That's how so I felt if, about so it. So if, if it was the other way around, I'd be like, I can't believe they've not given that penalty. It's one that Diaz did a bit later where he flips the ball up, almost like he's trying to trying get a handball. Get yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I saw that and I thought, this is interesting. This is the new phase now of this rule where there's... There's opportunity. I'm not even knocking that as a tactic, and that's absolutely smart. It's 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 clever football, but within the rules, it's a clever thing to see people flicking the ball up now in those those congested spaces because you never know what you're going to get. But I would say this: um, in terms of the overall game, I don't think that affected the, the outcome. We saw Darwin Nunes score, and you saw the relief of him scoring. He yeah. was brilliant. Yeah, he was so good all game. Actually, he he caused Gabriel yeah. a lot of problems. I thought Gabriel is. Maybe we'll talk about it another time, but I've been thinking about where the next phase of this evolution is for Arsenal. And I actually think it's, a, it's finding a, slightly, a slight upgrade as a partner mm. for Saliba. I think that's, I think. yeah, Long that time. unfortunately might be fair. Um, Tommy Asu against Salah was spectacular. So good. On his, on, the, on, on his opposite flank against Salah. And maybe you might say, weirdly, being right-footed might have helped him because Salah likes to come inside. So you're matching foot to foot. Mm. So what he did really, what, he's, side, what Tommy yeah. Asu is really good at, he's got very good speed off the mark. So then you've got a horrible matchup for Salah where you're playing foot to foot, strong foot against strong foot. And then he has this really good thing where Salah's trying to get around the outside of him on different occasions. But because his recovery speed is so good, you can't beat him in a flat sprint when he's turning. When, when Tommy Asu's turning and he's running into the space behind him and he's got two feet on Salah, Salah's not going to catch him. So it was a brilliant um, duel. Maybe even one that... I think deliberate. that was a... Sorry to cut in. Sorry. I, th I, th I think that's a very smart decision yeah. by Arteta. And I think, I think for the reasons that you've just pointed out, pointed out it wouldn't surprise me if that's yeah. why he included yeah. him. Because Tomiyasu is, if you, if you think about it, and this is the main difference, I think, between Arsenal this season and Arsenal mm. of seasons past. Tomiyasu is essentially the third choice left back. Third choice left back. It's Zinchenko, it's Tierney, then it's Tomiyasu. Or you could even say, when he's fit, it might even be Cedric Suarez. And but, but you look at like Tommy Asu's interception numbers in Serie A, and then you think about that and think, actually, this guy was born to play that kind of role. And he plays left centre-back for Japan. And actually, he might be an interesting one to partner with Saliba at the left centre-back role. Yeah, yeah. You never I know. So. I think that just 
anyway, sorry. Well, I just this, was a, M. this was a great audition. Put it that way. This mm. performance was a great audition. But again, I thought that Liverpool thoroughly deserved to equalise and with the better side, the, the, the second goal, getting counter-attacked for that goal just before half-time was a real kick in the teeth for Klopp because... Amazing counter by Martinelli. It was amazing. But the decision making, again, yeah, like, I think it. that this is what you said something earlier, which is quite interesting. I think this is the case for, for most of the game is that Arsenal looked dangerous every time they went forward against Liverpool. And they allowed Liverpool through large periods of the game to have the ball and were fairly comfortable. I thought so, of, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the first half in that period when they equal, when Liverpool equalised and maybe just up to half time, that was when Liverpool, I felt like, were turning the screw a little bit. In the second half, even though they equalised, Liverpool were good, but I don't think they were quite as good. I think Arsenal were... Two very different performances from Arsenal, actually. The derby and this, mm. if you think about their, in relation to their use of possession, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, um, both effective. I think Trent, that's just such an unfortunate injury. I don't think that's, I, I saw a couple of people really complaining about that, mm. about Martinelli going in studs on Trent, but it's not a foul. It's not a tackle. He's not, he's, yeah. he's, it's just, I think that's a really unfortunate. What do you think? Just an unhappy, I, I agree, I agree. Just a really unhappy, unlucky afternoon for Trent, I think as yeah, well. But also I think we need to talk about Trent a little bit because I, I still think people are misunderstanding why he's in that position. If he wasn't doing what Klopp wanted him to do to the level that Klopp wanted him to do it, he wouldn't be there. And you saw twice in that first half that he sliced open Arsenal from the right back position in an instant. And that's yeah. precisely why Klopp wants him in there. You know, Trent's, Trent's getting what Beckham got. Yeah, yeah, in a way. When Beckham, when, when Roberto Carlos pushed in behind him in the Champions League, and torched him because Roberto Carlos is exceptionally quick. In fact, some of the similar issues, you know, Beckham didn't have um, the greatest amount of pace, for example, was an astounding long pass. So basically, Trent is our David Beckham, right? In terms of his skill set and how he builds play from deep. Mm. Because today, David Beckham might be a Trent. With Beckham's skill set, he might be a Trent now. And the same challenges are coming now. Like defensively, there are challenges, you know, endurance is good, but he's not the quickest. And so the reason I mentioned the Beckham thing is in a team which has got structural weaknesses, the most gifted playmaker in that configuration, but also someone that struggles with defending, will get an abnormal share of the blame. But the structural issues at Liverpool are such that when the midfield is a problem, those aren't the two best midfielders you could have in that configuration to defend that forward line and protect the back line. Your centre-backs are maybe a little bit out of sorts. Like Across the board, there are problems. And the problems are amplified in that corner. And we saw, mm. we saw it from the, from the film game start of the season, targeting that fullback spot. Because they've obviously said, this is where they build out from. Let's attack them at the base of their playmaking. Mm. So Trent is getting a bit of a flamethrower at the moment. But it's nothing that good recruitment in a couple of areas around him doesn't solve or recovery from injury doesn't solve. So I think for people who are opponents of Liverpool, I would just say, understand why you're laughing and probably get your laughs in now because this is a problem that Liverpool can and will fix. Yeah. They can and will fix it. Just as, um, they, just as United fixed it with Beckham. Also, one of my favourite things that happened online this week was someone writing a tweet saying, please show me one person in the world who compared Trent to Cafu or Alves other than Liverpool fans. <laughs> And then it was just like, there was loads of people just being like, do they know? Do they know? And then <laughs> just read it. for those who don't know, Cafu, Cafu on Trent Alexander-Arnold. I see a lot of similarities between him and myself. <laughs> Danny Alves, I admire Trent Alexander-Arnold very much. He's a fantastic footballer. This guy has got world-class skills. I love it when the pros themselves come out and go, no, no, that's a fair no, shot. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. I like yeah. it, I like it. So I agree with absolutely everything you say about Trent. I think that he... I think he does make a slight error for the first goal, for sure. Yes, yes. William Saliba made a not too dissimilar error in the second half. And he, always got, he loves an own goal, doesn't he? Saliba almost got another one. <laughs> no. And let's just say, like, you know, he's, he's been already lauded for his defending. So yeah. Trent is there for a reason. And Klopp knows exactly why. Can I and say if, this one thing? With, if yeah, Trent was on. underperforming in the areas that Klopp wanted him to perform in, he wouldn't be in the starting eleven. Yes, I agree. Same with Dejan Lovren before in a previous incarnation. Yeah. One thing I want to say, um, just to throw into Trent, if you look at Saliba and the mistakes he makes, the mistakes that Trent makes, I've made different kinds of mistakes. Saliba makes his mistakes because he's getting there early. You need to score that. Time when you that, and I go for coffee. 
Moose is far too early. <laughs> I cook Moose for getting there early. He cooks me for getting there late. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. So I think if you're going to make mistakes, make them because you're getting there early. Make them because you're committing to a challenge or a clearance before the striker's on you. It's best not to make the mistakes where you're late to the scene, if that mm. makes sense. So maybe that's just the thing. Maybe being pro- more proactive on the front foot in his defending. But apart from that, I mean, good luck to him. Then we get to have the winning goal. Yes. I mean, this penalty. It's a little <laughs> bit kind of like... <laughs> I've seen them given. Well, I saw this one given. It's all I can say about that. I've seen them given and I have definitely seen them not given. Absolutely. So I It think felt like a penalty was coming. The way the ball was just pinballing around that, the box. That's it. I think that... I think, I think momentum played a big role in this big, penalty. Big, 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 big. Klopp straight away for that penalty just literally said, we should have got rid of that long before it's even a basically a Now that's thing. exactly right. That's exactly, they couldn't, they couldn't get out of the box. so true. Like live, he was just like, that should have gone. That should have been, fucking send it. <laughs> just can like, I be honest with you? The biggest compliment I can pay Arsenal is, I was like, is Fabregas still here? Because Aww. that was so typical of the Fabregas era at Arsenal that yeah. you couldn't get out because the way that man no. would just pass and find angles in the box and keep getting it back in there. And Arsenal just kept getting it, getting the salt back in the wound. They kept returning it to they source. Really and I was, I and Liverpool, like, Liverpool just couldn't really, understandably, we'll talk, talk about why in a little bit, but they couldn't really get out. And I think that played a big role. It felt like something was going to happen. It felt like it was yeah. a bit too chaotic and something was going to drop and there was either going to be a handball or someone was going to get tripped up. Gabriel Jesus is bang in the middle of the goal. He's what, like eight yards out? Yeah, and I'm not sure if he's even going to get to it because his touch is heavy, but Thiago has kicked him in the car. It's the kind of penalty you see at like Sunday league level in terms of the exhaustion, because it's the kind of penalty it's that- a bit, yeah, it's, it's a, a, bit a, it's a, it's a penalty. Yeah. Leg, wasn't it? Yeah. We, we, the intensity with which Arsenal attacked Liverpool, I think we can underestimate that. Mm. The speed they're shifting the ball, getting through gaps, and you see it all paid in those moments. You know, it's the old cliche about tired legs, but that was a tired tackle. Mm. There's a two-man midfield, a two-man central midfield, because the, the, it was basically a 44 they played, a two-man midfield, and Thiago, who had been chugging everywhere by that point, had been running all over the place, following mm. people, and actually kept up with the pace pretty well. But it tells after a while. It really does tell. It does. And then... Bukayo Saka puts it that away. That is a bold penalty. To go to that corner, to go to a strong hand, to go to like Alisson's like, is that his strong side? Like, <laughs> that's, that's like, such a good penalty. And fair play. It's a, a lot of guts, my man. You've got a lot of guts there. It's an outstanding penalty. Like, totally chill. It was great. It was a great penalty. And Bukayo Saka and Gabriel Martinelli were the two I mean, actually, Gabriel Jesus as well. That front three is so dynamic and so like, there was a moment in the... F- First half, where, where Arsenal were really under the cosh a little bit from Liverpool. And then Gabriel Jesus gets the ball about on the halfway line. And he just turns, cuts through two players, and he's gone. And instantly Liverpool running towards their own goal. And you could sense, it was really funny because I was watching the game being like, sounds a little bit quiet now. Mm. It's been really, really loud. Jesus just kind of like turns, goes, and all of a sudden the energy's back. Yeah, it's incredible. It's incredible what he's brought to that team, the aura. I just think that that front three is such a problem for any elite back four that it's allowing Arsenal to absorb a lot more pressure. And if you think that the changes, like just for Liverpool fans who I know are kind of going for a rough, rough time at the moment, I think Liverpool are going to be fine. I think they're going to finish. The, I, I think they will finish the top four still. Mm. Although they need to get a wriggle on. I think that's right. They need to, I mean, like I said last week, this is the, last week was the first week I thought, I'm not sure they come top two. And I think I will stand by that because yeah, I mean, the, top ground, two, I the think, ground to make up is so yeah, difficult. I agree. But this happened the season after they won the league, remember? Like they kind of yeah. had that real struggle. And I think this is another one. Like they, when you come so close to achieving what they nearly achieved last season, um, I understand that that's going to be a really hard transition to make. And they need... It's all eyes on next season, really, without making this season too yeah. painful. And I don't, know, I don't know how noteworthy it is that Klopp couldn't watch Saka's penalty. I don't, I don't know think if that's he something he does. Us. I don't think he does, yeah. Right, that was I don't know if that's something he does before, but like just, just seeing him in that context was like, this is a brutal, um, it's a brutal result, considering that Liverpool had a chance mm. to pull something out. But anyway, yeah. But on the um, same time, I think that for Liverpool, the performance was actually pretty good. They got, a, they got the wrong end of the, wrong end of the luck, let's say, with a couple of decisions that could have easily gone other ways in other yeah, days. Yeah. 
I think they were very much like someone mentioned, I can't remember who it was, home decisions, I think someone explained it as, and I, I can kind of see that. I can see that. I think that's, um, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. I think for Arsenal, also though, for Liverpool, I think it's just, Klopp knows that this is a, the level of the, the Arsenal, the level of Arsenal that they're playing now is a different one to they've played in the past. Mm. Um, was it 46 touches in the opposition box? The only side that's ever had more against Klopp's Liverpool, I think is City. Wow. That's an incredible stat. So that's a, that's a sign of like the progress that Arteta is making with this Arsenal side and a side that only had, it, can, it didn't, like Liverpool had the majority of possession and that's what I was saying before. I think that if you look at everything, the places, that, um, I know we're talking about Arsenal Liverpool yeah. a lot, but you look at that Arsenal back four, they're all absolutely hench. You look, mm. at the, you look at the Arsenal kind of like the two guys in midfield, hench. And then you've got the three, the four, the four little ones in comparison, speed, speed front, of thought, speed of foot. Who, I mean, you saw them in preseason training. They're not little, are they? No. And you could see, you could see they're not little and they're mobile and the touch, mm. the touch all four of them have technically goodness knows in a skill contest. If you put those four in any skill contest, any top four, any front four in, in the world, they're up there. Mm. Technically, they're just off the scale and they're young as well. A friend of mine, my friend Vinay dropped me a line. He was like, look at this, two 21-year-olds. Combining, combining for these goals. Yeah. Second youngest the, average lineup in the, in the league this season. They're yeah. doing it so well. There was moments where Arsenal were just popping the ball around in, the, in Liverpool's final, in Liverpool's defensive third. And Liverpool just were like, they couldn't really get near them. And I've not mm. seen a team, I've not seen a team do that to Liverpool for a while. I mean, I think, yeah. but Brighton did it in a different way. Um, their patterns of play. Oh my but, goodness, um, Brighton, I just say Brighton, it was, like, it was like fantasy under Pote to sci-fi under Deserbi. I think that's what it is. In terms of what he's brought. There. It's like Brighton have all of a sudden dropped acid. Yeah. It's like when the Beatles started The Beatles, yeah, I knew you were going <laughs> to... Like Brighton at the moment were in their uh, Tomorrow Never Knows phase. It's waiting for the Beatles reference. You know I, mean? so I was like, there we go. Love it. <laughs> uh, should we take a break? Let's do it. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things but at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side-by-side. Side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. Let's go to Germany. Let's do it. Let's return to Germany. <laughs> Dortmund 2, Bayern 2, in the top Spiel der Woche in the Bundesliga. A mid-table clash in the Bundesliga. <laughs> <laughs> the race for the final Champions League place. <laughs> Shout out to Union, who is still top. Congratulations to them. But yeah, because of Union, this has become a mid-table clash. No, just yeah. uh, but what a game. What a game this uh, was. Union two, well, let's do that quickly. Union two points clear after their 1-0 win away at Stuttgart on Sunday. And Freiburg went to the Olympia Stadion. Orna Christian Streich, who had coronavirus, and drew to all with Hertha, who were actually yeah, really, good. really good. They're good. Hertha slowly climbing up the table. We'll talk about Gladbach and some other stuff in a minute, but yes. Uh, this game. Union two points clear of Freiburg who are two points clear of Bayern, who are level on points with Dortmund. And that is the Bundesliga top four. But let's talk about the game because it was brilliant. Gave us all the vitamins. In the first half, it looked like it was going to be same old because I thought Dortmund were really good in the first really half. Really good. Really, really good. And Bayern, they restricted Bayern to not a lot. And then all of a sudden, just after half an hour, Leon Goretzka pops up just outside the box and scores. It's funny because, okay, there's a couple of things to say. The first thing is, actually, I want to draw a quick parallel between Dortmund playing out against the press and Liverpool. Because even in the same areas of the pitch, this is the left-hand side for Dortmund, or the right-hand side, the way Dortmund played out was spectacular in parts of the first half against um, Bayern. Really impressive touch play, turning, 
really, really well coordinated, great coaching by Terzic there. But then the goal that Bayern got is that there was a dress rehearsal for it just before. So Mane breaking down the flank, playing in the reverse pass overlap, I think Davies squared and didn't work out the first time. They tried it again about five minutes later and then it was devastating. Mm. Finding Goretzka edge of the box. And there's an argument that Maya should have done better in goal for this because when the ball comes in for the shot, he's slightly unsighted, but the real key is he's, his weight on his feet is, is bad. Yeah. He's almost on his heels and he's angled the other way. So when the ball is struck, it enters the net quite close to his feet. And it's almost like if he'd been on his toes, mm. I think he gets to that. Um, but Bayern were not good value for the lead, actually. No, they weren't. No. They weren't. And, and the, the concern is for the casual observer who saw Bayern taking the lead, it would have been very easy to be like, same old Dortmund, but it absolutely wasn't. And also the same with when, when they went 2-0 up. Right. Here's the funny thing with Bayern, actually. Look, I mean, so the goal, the second goal from Sané in the second half. So going to the break at 1-0 down, yeah, we'll Sané talk, We'll touch on the contentious decisions in a little bit. because I want Absolutely. To but just in terms of this, this, the flow of the game, Sané with a low strike that's palmed the net by Maya. Uh, you know, again, a mistake. This was a, a much more clear mistake than the first one and a bad mistake, I would say. The thing about Gnabry is I'm not sure I like Gnabry as a line, but I like... No the freedom it gives Sané to come from wide and come inside. I think that's his best role. I think if Sané went through the middle, he wouldn't have that, that ability to converge like he does so effectively, to drift in. Um, and he's been excellent. You know, we talked about him having a tough start to his time at Bayern, but those are challenges. He's he's, are brilliant. Those are, those, those, those are challenges he's long since overcome. So mm -hmm. he was extremely impressive again. But yeah, so then Dortmund find themselves 2-0 down. But considering they've been pretty good, mm. Their return to parity was not was not entirely unfair. Yeah, key key decision from Ed and Terzic was taking uh, Daniel Marlin off and bringing on Anthony Modest. Although I do yeah. think that they're bringing on uh, Adi Amy for for Urshan 10, 15, uh, 15 minutes before. I think really that I think was maybe the key one because yeah, because I was thought Marlin was doing pretty the, well. That was, that was straight after the goal. The, the second goal, and I think it just gave Dortmund a little bit of like, right, okay, we need Marlon to chase this Marlon's running in the first now. half, I thought was extremely good. I thought he yeah, caused a lot of problems. He, he's, he's really good at breaking lines. He's, I just think he needs to become a little bit more ruthless in front of goal. There's something else as well, if I am going to be briefly critical. There was a break that Dortmund made that was outstanding, a fluidity that was so good in the first half, and then I think what happened, there's an impatience there in the playmaking. Mm. I think it's an anxiety about goal scoring. Mm. But he took a chance he took a shot through a crowd of players that went wide, mm. whereas there was an extra pass on. Yeah. And I don't think it was a selfishness thing. I think it's an anxiety of, because he's not been a volume goal scorer coming in at Dortmund. And he's someone that I think very, very good positions, but a little bit more composure and he's devastating. So hopefully he can find that. The good thing with the uh, Dortmund front line is, and again, I loved what Brandt did in this game. I yeah, love Brandt's just a really good oh, footballer. But I think, but Terzic really likes him, which is really important. So I just think that Marlin in that configuration, if he can just kind of find a bit more composure because there will be chances coming, mm. I think could step up. But yeah, you're right. The Adiemi switch was, was big. Yeah, because he's just, he's just not the kind of player that you want to face late into a game. Fearless as well. Modest comes on four minutes later, sets up uh, Yusuf and Makoku. Oh, great square pass. Which is a lovely goal, this. And uh, Makoku became the youngest player to ever score in, a, in this fixture, 17 years old. And he celebrated by just shoving over Manuel Neuer. Which I, I was trying to get the, yeah, you said. And then Neuer, Neuer, he's trying to get the ball back, isn't he? He's trying to get the ball back, but then Neuer doesn't release it. So he shoves him over. And then Neuer's just like flopping. It's like yeah, Van Gaal on the sideline. Yeah. So this is in consecutive weeks, in consecutive match days. Makoko has become the youngest ever goal scorer in the Dortmund Schalke derby and the youngest of goal scorer mm. in Der Klassiker, which is incredible. And the thing is, he's fearless. I know there's a lot of pressure on young shoulders, but I think, he's, I think he needs to go to the World Cup, personally. I don't see why not. Yeah. I think he should. He would give Germany just such a different way to hurt teams. Mm. I think he has to go. And it's, and, it's, and it's not like that kind of, oh, young player without fear. No, he plays like an old head. Like he doesn't let mm. a lot of these things get to him. Like Modest, for example, Modest missed an outstanding chance. Adiemi yeah. made a cr an incredible, lets it all run through his legs, turns his man, just puts in the afterburner, crosses it in. Modest is six yards out. And you look at Modest missing that chance and you think, that is someone on whom the weight of responsibility weighs heavy. You could see that. It's, it's not a mystery to anyone because it's a huge step up from Modest. Not because he hasn't played around a huge crowd. You know, Köln is a huge club, but it's the but type of just, scrutiny yeah. internationally. It's the international scrutiny that playing 
up front for Dortmund and gives if you. Did a little brief Twitter search after he missed that chance, there were a lot of people who wanted him out of Dortmund so fast that he wouldn't have even been around to score the equaliser. Put it that yes, way. he was getting cooked. He was getting and here's absolutely the thing. cooked. The beauty of it is, see the late finish that he gets. This late goal, actually, I love that he missed that chance because I think that his late equaliser is more effective for him and for Dortmund. Listen, the best ever goal in football is one which empties his drafts and empties the bench at the same time. <laughs> and this, <laughs> this goal, the celebration and the high that is going to give Dortmund yeah. will feel like a victory. Mm. It will feel like a victory because they haven't done their best in this fixture over the years. They got a point that they deserved. I they think deserved that would have been, sorry point. to cut in, but I think that would have been nine straight that Bayern had won against Dortmund. And it would have been unfair to lose this one. You know, watching this game throughout, you're like, this is not fair that they lose mm. this. This is not fair. They deserve a goal here. And for them to get it with pretty much the last touch of the game, because the whistle yeah, went immediately it was great, basically, yeah. And you saw at the end, like the Bayern player just slashing the ball high into the air in frustration. I was just like, yeah, this was big for Dortmund. Right. So there's a few things here. Like Jonathan Hardy wrote a good piece on DW, which I retweeted on Sunday, which I think is just to basically just enjoy the game for what it was and don't think about the wider context because every single fixture of between Dortmund and Bayern tends to get this, everyone gets existential about the state of the Bundesliga afterwards and it was actually <laughs> and, I, and I think it was actually quite fun watching this game when they were third and fourth yes in October that's actually really good for the league I think yeah 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 yeah. I think it was just quite good to not get not have to get too big picture about it the thing that yeah. did get quite big picture though was the refereeing there were a couple of early yellows the referee who's probably the He's probably the best referee in the Bundesliga, Dennis Eitken. Well-respected ref. And the thing that I love about the Bundesliga, and this has happened numerous times, is that the referee will come out afterwards and do a post-match interview, which I actually really love. And he, he, so he booked Marcel Sabitzer really early, which I think was fair. He booked yeah, Matthias yeah, De Ligt, was, was which fair. was fair as well. He then booked Jude Bellingham at just after a quarter of an hour, which I yeah, think... Yeah, the foul on... On Musiala. Musiala, yeah. 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 I think was probably not a yellow. I think because the Musiala, the, the full, he, not the full, but the way he flips it up looked, in the air, yeah. it looks worse than And it I think basically this was a soft yellow, a very soft yellow. Just after halftime, basically the ball is bouncing around and Bellingham, from the, his blind side, Alfonso Davies comes round past him, ducks down ever so slightly, it's not like knee high or anything, ducks down ever so slightly to head the ball. Jude's put, putting his foot up for it and he catches Alfonso in the face. Mm. Uh, Alfonso Davies goes off he then goes to hospital for con- concussion protocol checks. He looked in a he looked in a pretty bad way actually. But it, it's really it's really it's this this is one of those ones that I think depending on where your allegiances lie is probably how you're going to judge the situation. Mm. Because I think this was just quite unfortunate. But if you can if you're on a yellow, regardless of how soft the initial yellow was, once you're on a yellow, it has to proceed to red. You'd have to say like I think I think that's a booking. Yeah. Yeah, and that's fair. After the game, the referee did a post-match interview and was explaining it was an empathy-based decision because he'd known he knew that he probably shouldn't have booked Bellingham for the first one. And and it, I found it actually quite interesting because it it really came in with like a human element to it. Yeah. Uh, I still think he probably should have gone and I think he 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 did quite a good job of explaining it that I think would have really <laughs> enraged enraged Bayern fans. Oliver Kahn on Twitter was just like where was the where, where was the, the empathy for this? Where was the sympathy for this? What I like about this decision is every now and again, you know, we've watched football for so many years and I've often thought the ref is, uh, what's the word, um, compensating for an earlier decision that was too tough. Yeah. And you Does that make sense? It, yeah. So you almost, we've seen it so many times, it feels like psychologically, again, the psychology of referees, you feel like, ah, oh, like you've gone too harsh early, so you're reining it back in now. You see it with penalty shouts or there's certain cars that a ref doesn't want to give that early in the game. This is a big problem we saw actually when Colombia played Brazil in the World Cup. A big criticism of that game was they were like, that ref is not used to refereeing in South America. So when you're refing that game, you're not judging the ebb and flow. So you're not awarding mm-hmm. free kicks and you're letting things flow too much, letting fouls happen too much instead of being like coming down early on that, that, that. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's really fascinating, I think. I mean, it's easy for me as a neutral to watch it. but Yeah, same, yeah. It's fascinating. It's, we can just ruminate, but Bayern fans aren't loving it. But I just love to hear the thought process. I love to hear that actually you're going, wow, they're like, refs are as practical as, as we thought they were. 
Yeah, Oliver Kahn said, where was the empathy for um, from Dennis I to Ken? For the for the basis the second yellow for for Kingsley Coman who got sent off yeah and I think that but again I think that was fair but also I don't think Bayern didn't win this game because of that decision if you're going to play that game I think Leroy Sané should have gone okay for the kick out on Adeyemi yeah yeah fair enough if we're go, if we're going to go if there, we're going to yeah. go there and I know that you kind of you know it doesn't two wrongs don't make a right for sure but I think that the Coman one was fair yes Bayern were lucky that Sané didn't go. Yes. And I think Dortmund were lucky that Jude didn't go. Absolutely. But I also think that that first yellow on Bellingham was a little bit harsh. Yes. But I think if you look at the two goals that Bayern scored, they had one other shot on target, which was saved quite comfortably. I don't think if Koble's in goal, he's on the bench now, he should be back next week. I, I don't think those goals go in if Koble's in I don't, I don't think both of them go in. No, not at all. Bayern controlled a lot of the game. It was all of, in front of Dortmund. Similar to Liverpool, actually. And I think the key thing yeah. for Bayern is that they cannot allow that last minute equaliser or the fact that Bellingham didn't get a second yellow to overshadow some stuff that is still needs to be fixed in that squad. I think that's right. That's completely right. That's what I um, think. And also no, just one more chat. thing on this. You go, 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 Manuel go. Grafer, who is the, you know, the, the now retired legendary German ref, he's a Berlin boy as well. Uh, he's now ZDF's referee expert. When he was talking about the Bellingham Davies thing, he said last season Dortmund were a bit unlucky in terms of decisions. This time it was maybe the other way around. That's interesting. Can I say this as well? Last thing I'll say on this. If Oliver Kahn's talking about a lack of empathy, he received no empathy at all for his reaction to the Dortmund equaliser, which is an all-time great. He, he tweeted the gif of that himself. It's amazing. What is it with like, high-profile Germans recently retweeting their own memes? Yes. <laughs> do, you know, do you know what I love about him sharing this though? Do you know what I love about it? It's because it did, it perfectly captured the drama of the moment. And actually yeah. it's, you know, can I say this? It's the most relatable thing I think Oliver Kahn has ever done. Yeah. As like this man feels, and I have to say, actually, there was something quite, you know, maybe even wholesome in a game like where we see a lot of bleak stuff. There is something mm. very, very wholesome about such a heartfelt reaction and such an identification with a club long after you stopped playing for it. I love to see that actually. So yeah. Great result around, great game. And I'm sure that once the anger dies down, people look back and go, do you know what? This is one of the games that goes down as a minor, a minor classic. I thought it was a great game. Bundesliga this season has been great. And yeah. so has the Zweiter Bundesliga. Kaiserslautern uh, made it absolutely, they were like, do you know what? This game's on TV. It's the showpiece fixture. It came on straight after the Dortmund <laughs> Bayern game. They're a game away at highest foul. And do you know what we're going to do? We're going to set off so many fucking fireworks <laughs> that you're not going to be able to see shit. Main character TV. energy. Kaiserslautern. Listen, Kaiserslautern need to be back in the Bundesliga. That is yes. my, that is my agenda. Well, they have to make the Ryan Derby, Gladbach beating Köln 5-2. And this, just because they lost 5-1 last week, to Verde, <laughs> Gladbach are having... A very glad back moment. <laughs> and I'm not, not saying to knock them, I'm just because it's, it's just funny. There was a lovely piece of commentary in the first half. It's just, sometimes you just get these absolute gems on German commentary. It's so great. Uh, Florian Kainz got sent off in stoppage time at the end of the first half. And the commentator said he has had an Achterbahn of a first half, which is the German word for roller coaster. Uh, he, uh, he got booked. He got the penalty, he scored the penalty, he conceded a penalty, he got sent off. Amazing. That is like one of those kind of like, have you ever wondered what it would be like to playing a derby? Would you like to experience it for one day for just 10,000 euros? Join our derby experience days and basically Wait, you just get the whole first <laughs> half fucking shit. Didn't, didn't Pereira do that again, West Ham Fulham? He, he scored <laughs> the open and then like conceded a penalty. And yeah. I'm like, there's, there's a few people actually. As well. There's a few people who are on one this weekend. Yeah. There were like three or four players that really had a big chaotic weekend. What I'll say about Gladbach, um, actually, for their victory, if I had to put together, because I was thinking about this and thinking like, if I had to put together like, let's say every month I put together like my source 11. So basically just players who had flair and vibes and were just really exciting, not necessarily chaotic, but just Gladbach would get, I think an abnormal number of members of my source 11 every week. Mm. And in particular, Ben Sibaini, who every time I watch him is interesting, is fun, is creative, is exciting. Like one of the most fun fullbacks to do anything in, in, in the sort of top, top leagues. Mm. But yeah, great win for Gladbach. They needed that badly. Uh, great bounce back for them. So yeah, 
exciting times uh, for them, not necessarily predictable times or delightful, but exciting. And I must mention the 4-0 victory for Bayer Leverkusen over Schalke, Chabi Alonso's first game in charge. And maybe it's too early to, to give them too much credit for how they're playing, but they were playing with real freedom. And he just looks great on the touchline. He looks amazing. Let's go quickly to Serie A. We're going to swerve uh, Liga this, this week. Points drops for the top. We're going to swerve La Liga as well this week, but very, very quickly. Everyone scraped by in La Liga yeah. this weekend. It was just a... It was a I love it how games follow themes sometimes yeah. in the league. Yeah. Um, St. Pauli's back at Sevilla and they uh, drew one all with Athletic Club. Glasgow next weekend. So you'll sure as hell be getting some La Liga next week. Vibes. All right, let's go to Italy before we bounce. Do it. Here's a question. So Milan beating Juve 2-0 is obviously a huge result for uh, Milan. Spectacular second goal by Bram Diaz. Oh, second off. Gorgeous. I'm, I'm really happy that Bram Diaz has found happiness at Milan. I hope that move becomes permanent because spectacular player, playmaker. Get a chance to watch that goal. Please do. It was, out, it was outrageous. Um, Rafael Liao, again, extremely dangerous. Tomori popping up with the opening goal. Again, scoring against Juventus. But this is the thing, in the context, Milan-Juve is a huge historical fixture, but at present, it's not a decisive fixture. Mm. And that says a lot, it speaks a lot to how Juventus are progressing this year, or not, as the case may be. We know they've got um, danger and attack, Vlajevic does what he does. But Juventus have been out of sorts for a very, very long time, and it's a really damning indictment to them that this result was not a surprise. It was not a surprise at all. Teo Hernandez back in the side. Um, you have Kalulu and Tamori just doing work. And it was funny because they published the list of, I think, was it Matteo Benetti? Someone published the list of, over ESPN, great commentator, great reader of the game, comparing the salaries at Milan and at Juve. And I was like, some of these Juve, some of these Milan players are, they're a bargain. Like Benassa oh, in particular. Yeah. These, these, these players are on bargaining, these <laughs> players are on bargain contracts considering their output, considering how well they're playing, they're balling out. And Juve at this point are so far in the rearview mirror. Um, and the danger for them is other teams have really stepped up. Udinese have been brilliant this year, very resilient. They're in the top four. Great calm against Atlanta from two goals down. Inter in the mix, good win over Sassuolo. Napoli just surging. And Napoli winning games, they were, you know, Napoli, this win over Cremonese. Cremonese were low down, but this is the kind of, low down the table, but this is the kind of game that Napoli draw last season. And they get three in the last 15 minutes. And they ran away with it by the end. You know, it's for Juventus and where they are at this point, this result was absolutely status quo results. I don't know how you saw it, but it just felt to me like more evidence of the power shift in this, in this league. Yeah, I just think Juve, they have, to, they have to have the perfect conditions to really beat teams at the moment. And it seems like way too much hard work, just way too much hard work to create anything way too much hard work to see off teams that they probably think that they should be seeing off if they have the squad is imbalanced Ryan sorry imbalanced mm, we've said this numerous times before but I just don't think Allegri is the guy to take that side forward yeah I agree where they were at mm. I think Juve needed to make maybe another move back or clear out a couple more players from that squad to then really fire and if they'd done that under Pirlo with the idea of how Pirlo wanted to play football mm. because they needed to do something different. The league has shifted. The, other, the rest of the league has got, the strength in the league has got deeper in Serie over the last few years. The league has become a lot more uh, offensive. Yeah. And you need to score goals to win in this league. Yeah, now. yeah, absolutely. And it, it, you can't just win Scudettos on defence anymore. You can't do it. You need to be able to put teams away because also teams like Spezia, Sass, uh, Salernitana, all the S's will like, hurt you. They're coming for you. They're coming yeah, for you. Yeah, they will hurt you when yeah. they went, went like probably more than they... Monza than, too with that depth. Yeah, they exactly. got the Berlusconi money too. Yeah. And I just think that I don't think it's going to be long before he goes. Contract and payoff permitting. Juve are in a real bind. Here. Well then Agnelli, there's talk about Agnelli as well and about his tenure and how, how harmful that might have been. I mean, it's, whatever happens, they need Juve have to think about where the league is now because it's not the 90s where it's like 1-0 grinding out you're right. You look at like, look at Napoli, you know, I, I know the flavour of the month, but rightly so. Look at the bench. Zielinski was on the bench this weekend. Lozano came off the bench. Osimen wasn't even in the side, still out. That's what you need. Those are the levels. 
Yeah. Those are the levels. You have to be spellbinding and attack to win this league or to get into the Champions League. It's, that's how it is yeah. now. And it's cha- it changes fast. I don't want to take anything away from Milan here because I think they were the better side and they, they deserve to win the game. But just Juve, it's very, it's just not fun. Actually. Yeah. It's just not, it's not fun to watch. It doesn't look like a fun side to play in. Looking at Vlajovic, who gave away the ball for the, for the Diaz goal, it was a really poor pass. But like, why is Vlajovic dropping into that position to play a square ball? That's yeah. because there's not, there isn't much there. Not going on high up. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing game though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, anything else in Serie A you want to shout out very quick? No, I think we could, oh, there was the injury to Paolo Dybala, Roma oh. Lecce. So that's a real concern in terms of how that pans out. So fingers crossed for him because he was looking good for Argentina. Um, mm. So I hope he comes through that. This right. is where yeah. like we're getting at that stage now with the World Cup just on the, it's just. Just literally take your players off and wrap them in cotton wool for the last month before yeah. the tournament. Yeah. Mm. Anyway. Um, shall we get out of here? Let's do it. All right. We hope everyone's staying safe, staying well. Apologies if, if we've missed anything. There's a lot to get through this week. Um, you and I will be back on Thursday, Champions League again this week. Well, looking forward to it. Don't forget to check Wrighty's house up on Tuesday. And don't forget to check the Stadio Archer's place on Spotify. Speaking of which, playing out on one from the great Bureau B label who's just given us the go-ahead to use whatever we want, which is lovely. Fabulous. Trapped by Departai, Austausch Program. Um, anything you want to add, Moose Rock Gonzo? No, I'm all good. All right, everyone, much love. We'll be back on Thursday. See you <laughs> I have a, I have arrived here from the ghetto myself, myself, myself. Thank you very much. I'm here on the exchange program. Y'all can imagine what they sent over there. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. 